there we go. All right, so Psalm 23, and we'll stop, stop the rant. So my thought, though, today is, like, God is the good shepherd. And if we don't know who the shepherd is, how can we walk in this world? And usually when people talk about the good shepherd, they go to John chapter 10, right? Where Jesus says that I am the good shepherd, and they go into all that stuff. But I was thinking about something more, in, uh, a little bit different here. So let's turn to Psalm 23, and we're just going to read verses 1 through 3. And you probably already know it, but don't be familiar. You know, look at it and, and read it with me. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in, in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We pray for those that are traveling, that you will be with them, keep them safe. Pray that they will have great fellowship with you, Lord, as they are away. Uh, and those that are of us that are here today, bless us with your presence also. And help us to understand what it means to have you, Father, as our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Pastor Shao, I mean, I didn't get to listen to the morning service in Baltimore. But I heard one little part of it, and he was talking about how he feels like Christians are being hijacked. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel the same way, that the devil is out to hijack uh, God's children. And it's interesting because even though we are God's children, and even though uh, we will be in heaven, it is still possible for the devil to distract us from what God has for us. It is still possible for the devil to come in and to steal, it says, right? To kill and to destroy. And we look at that verse in, in, in Peter and we say, well, that is amazing. That's what the devil is doing. So I look in my life and I say, well, where is the devil trying to steal? Where is the devil trying to kill? And where is the devil destroying? And we look and then we say, well, there is no violence happening in my life. Because those are very violent words, aren't they? <laughs> but could uh, the devil be steal, stealing, killing and destroying in more subtle ways? And uh, I think he does, you know, because... America as a nation, uh, spiritually speaking, we are more passive, meaning like we are not seeing witch doctors out on the streets and we're not seeing seances happening out on the streets and we're not confronting demon possessed people all the time like you would in Africa or other countries. So spiritually speaking, we are uh, more of a passive kind of nation. So that also that means that the attacks against Christianity are also in a more passive aggressive kind of way. And I see it today that the devil is really stealing people. But when I read this psalm, it is really amazing because how David starts the psalm is he begins who God is. And that is so important because I was thinking about it. Because in my life, I need to have a definition of who God is. And how that definition is based should happen in two ways. It should happen first on truth. Who is God and how do I define God should be divinely expressed through the word of God. Okay. Now here is Psalm 23. Now is Saul, is David expressing who God is based on divine truth? This is interesting because when you read the psalm, it is almost, well, it's a psalm. It's emotional. It's a psalm. Right. So actually what David is doing, that he is defining who God is based on his experience. 
This is amazing because of, because of David's experience with God, we have a divine truth on who God is. So therefore, in my life, I can define who God is, not emotionally, but divine. I mean, that is amazing. And I was thinking about it this way. So I define who God is in my life based on truth, and I also define it based on my personal experience. Now, how many of us have a good source of truth of who God is? Yeah, I mean, I I think many of us do. How many of us have a good source of personal experience of who God is? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Now, now let me ask the question. Does your personal experience line up with the truth that you have learned? Because sometimes they don't, right? This is very interesting. So here is David. He is you know, writing this psalm. And he is, he is writing this, and it is an emotional psalm, something that he is writing. And for us, we look at it and we say, well, this is scripture. You know, this is canon. This is important. This is who God is. He is the shepherd. But when David is writing this, he didn't have the book of Psalms to reference as truth. He had who God really was in his personal experience. And this is just interesting because... You know, in our lives, uh, do we define who God is based on our personal experience? And I want us to be very careful that we don't do that, because in our life, that is one area that God, that the devil comes in and he steals, kills and destroys. He comes in and he has us define who God is based on our experience. And our experience is actually a non-biblical experience of who God is. And I'm going to get to that here later on here, because our experience of God being a shepherd, right? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. That is how David experienced him. That experience may not happen in my life. And we read this definition of being a shepherd. We read John chapter 10, and we see that definition of what a shepherd should be. And I look at my life, I say, God, you're not a shepherd, So what do I begin to do? I begin to redefine the character of God based on my experience. And now my definition of who God is is completely false. And then I'm hijacked from God. And see, the devil does this over and over and over and over again because my definition of God, my definition of Christianity becomes very subjective. Now let me say this. God is objective. Truth is objective. And what happens is that he wants to be personal. Because he's personal doesn't mean it's objective. I mean, it's subjective, right? Like, so I I believe that it is my right as an American or as a believer that God should be so personal to me that I can begin to define him on my own terms. So how do I define God? Well, God is my shepherd. Okay. Like we say that as believers, but how do we define a shepherd? Well, you know, I was thinking about it the other day because I was playing with, you know, my new phone and trying to figure out maps on my new phone. And it was driving me nuts. You know, because I had it all set up, set up on my old phone. I had the voice turned off. I had, you know, I had it, you know, this and this figured out. My location set up. 
You know, so I was playing with it, and all of a sudden I'm driving, and like my phone is like yelling at me. You know, wrong turn, wrong, t- wrong turn. And it was the most annoying voice. See, sometimes when I look at God as being a shepherd, I look at it in this way. Like he is Google Maps. And if I don't like the voice, I can change the voice. If I don't like the voice, I can turn the voice off and I can ignore it. If I don't like where it's taking me, I can go where I want to go and it will redirect me. That's how I look at God. And I say, this is God being my shepherd. I mean, people have all kinds of ideas of who God is. But see, how I define God reveals the character of God. So if I'm defining God in the incorrect way, then I'm ascribing the wrong character to who God is. It's interesting how that could happen. And I'm not here to say like, you know, in a pompous you know, pious kind of way, like, I know who God is, and this is who he is. And you better, and if you come up with something different, you're wrong, and you're going, you know, it's not that kind of a message. Because what God teaches us in the Bible, and we're going to get there in, in a little bit, if you bear with me, but what God teaches us in the Bible is that I need to have an objective point of view of who he is, and through that objectivity, I can have a personal experience of who God is. But if I am subjective in my the definition of who God is, I will never really experience the objective God of the Bible. I will experience God as I define him. Isn't that interesting? That I could define God incorrectly and I could also experience him that way. (laughs) I mean, what did Jonah say? I knew you were a merciful God. And that's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. I knew you were that way. But on the opposite side, there were others who thought that God was angry. And at times, they experienced God in, in the wrong kind of way. Not because that was who God was, but that's how they interpreted God's actions. So that's why... I mean, before we even get into Psalm 23, it is so amazing how David defines who God is. He says, God, you are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. Now, there's been a lot of messages preached about God being a shepherd, and we could dive into all these aspects here. But there's one thing that I want to think about here that David brings out twice in these verses, and that is the fact that he leads us. He leads us. Have you guys ever felt God lead you before? Yeah. Isn't that amazing when God leads you and then you try to fight it? Isn't that even more fun? (laughs) Yeah. It is amazing. Listen to this. He says in verse three, he says, he restores my soul and he leads me in path. Oh, sorry. Verse two. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures And he leads me beside still waters. Verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness. See, God, you know, being a shepherd, he can do all these things. But what is he really doing is he is leading us, isn't he? That is God's desire in our life is that he is leading us. So this is interesting. I want to read these definitions. The first word for lead, it means to bring me into a place of rest. Where he can lead me with care. So in verse 2 it says he leads me beside still waters. 
God's desire for me in my life is to bring me into a place that he is leading me and he's bringing to me, he's bringing me into this place with care. Okay, it's very important how we are being led. It's not, it's not only the where, but it's also the how. How is God leading us? And where is he leading us? You know, you know <laughs> sometimes like Elias won't be listening, so what do I do? I grab him by the arm and I drag him, right? I mean, sometimes that is what I do as a human. But is that the best way to lead somebody? See, here in Psalm 23, he is saying not only am I leading you to the right place, but I'm leading you in a certain way. He is not driving you. He's not demanding you. He's not pushing you. He's not controlling you. He's not doing all these kind of things. He is leading you with care. So no matter what you are going through today, no matter where God is leading you and what your experience is with God, even though if you could say, well, that is not my experience. Right now, God is dragging me through the mud. No, he's not. No matter what your experience is, no matter how negative it is, God says right here that he is leading you with care. Because that is a part of his character. So your negative experience can't be defined by your own subjective definition of who God is. Well, if God really cared about me, he wouldn't be doing this, this and this and this in my life. Who says? Who says? And you know what? Maybe God isn't doing that in your life. Maybe you're doing it to yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, uh, you know, sorry to say it that way. But sometimes our own problems aren't coming from God. And God, you know, oh, God's like, all right. And we're, and we're over here like, you know, having a hissy fit, throwing ourselves in the mud. It's so funny. But the thing is, is God is leading us to a place of rest and he is leading us there with care. Now, this place where it says in verse two, besides still waters, you know, this is amazing because there are two opposites being said here. One is, is it could be a water where it is dead and stagnant, right? Like a pond where all this algae is growing and the water is not, it's not a good place to swim. The opposite could also be, you know, like where there are rapids and it's not a place where I could be, Right? So God doesn't bring us, bring us to a place on one end or the other end. He brings us to a place that is right exactly where we need. And I wanted to read this. This is from, you know, a scholar that I was studying this morning. He says, water is so calm and gentle and so still as to suggest the idea of repose, of repose and such as to prompt it to repose. So he is bringing us to a place where we are able not only to rest, but it's also prompting us to rest. See, some of us are so busy in our life and we are being bombarded by the devil or our own subjectivity over and over and over again so much that we don't understand how to rest. So God is bringing us, again, with care into a place where we are able and we are being prompted to, to rest. And he says, this is applied to the people of God. This denotes a calmness, the peace, the rest of the soul. When salvation flows as in a gentle running stream, where there is no apprehension of wants, where the heart is at peace with God. Isn't that an amazing place to be? 
Think about all the chaos that's happening in your life. Think about all the chaos that's happening around you. Think about all the chaos that's happening in society. Wouldn't it be nice to be in a place in the middle of all this chaos, in the middle of all this storm, in the middle of all this subjectivity, that I could be at a place where my heart is receiving daily salvation from God. And I'm at peace with God. Where I can go and I can say to God, and I can say there is no, and I love this, there is no apprehension of want. Meaning this, like, like I could, I'm in a place where there is no need, and if there is a need, I can have the, the boldness to ask my Father. Because I am at a place where I'm at peace with God. You know, this is a place where I want to dwell. You know, I, I stand here today, not somebody that has it figured out, but somebody who needs to be in this same place as you need to be. None of us, we're all the same. We all need to find our place. We all need to be led by God. We need to be led by the shepherd. We need God to care for us and bring us into a place where he is our sustenance, where he is our rest, where he is our repose. But it's interesting because then he uses the word in the English it's used. He leads us again in verse three. It says this. It says he leads me in paths of righteousness or you could say in the right ways. This word for lead, it is different. The first word is that he's being very careful to bring us into a place of rest with care. But in the second word, he is talking about the word to guide and actually, it means this. This is interesting. It says, oh, I didn't write it down. Oh, yeah, I did. The word here, to lead, means not only to guide, but also to draw. So God, what he is doing is that he is drawing us to himself into the paths of the right way. Isn't that amazing? Like, if I am being led, I want, to be, I want to know where I am being led to. But see, if I am being drawn to God first, the destination doesn't even matter, does it? Now, this is interesting. We're going to dive right into this. Let's turn to John chapter 20. I was trying to, like, work up slowly, you know, but it's, it's not going to work. John chapter 21. John 21. I love this story. This is the story of Peter being restored. Jesus restoring Peter. You guys know that story, right? Starting in verse 15, it says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Interesting question for God to ask, isn't it? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, just a little bit of background. I'm sure you guys have heard this in other messages, but the word that Jesus is using for love is not the same word that Peter is using for love, okay? Jesus is using the word agape, which, you know, for argument's sake, we could say is a, a higher form of love. And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Like, I, I'm a friend with you. You're my friend. You're my brother. It's like a little bit lower form of love. Then he said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? 
Do you agape me? Do you have this high form of love for me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I am your friend. And he said to me, tend my sheep. Verse 17. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And listen to this. It says Peter was grieved. Was, do you think Peter was grieved because of Jesus being so persistent? Or do you think Peter was grieved because of his own guilty conscience? You know, and we always talk about this, and, and this is amazing, and, I, I, you know, it's not, it's not in my notes, but you, do you realize, like, after Jesus restores Peter, where he says, okay, do you phileo me? This is the third time. Jesus says to Peter, do you, do, are you my friend? He, he brings the standard a little bit lower for Peter, and then Peter says, Lord, you know that I am your friend. Then he says, then feed my sheep. He restores Peter, but then the very next thing, he goes into all this thing talking about Peter, and then he goes and he points his finger, well, what about John? Even after he is restored to Jesus Christ, there is still insecurity, there is still so much subjectivity in Peter's life where he doesn't know who he is in the eyes of God. And we can say to ourselves, we can ask ourselves that question, do you love God? <laughs> well, what kind of love do you mean? Because some of us, and I point my, point my finger to myself, we can say that I love God where I would do this for you, but I will not do this for you. That's what Jesus is dealing with here in Peter's life. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. <laughs> it's like, you know, Andrew, do you love me? And give me a thousand dollars. Well, I love you, but I'll give you a dollar. That's like what the kind of conversation's going. You know, Andrew, do you love me? I love you, but I'll give you a dollar. You know, that's the kind of conversation that God is uh, having with Peter. Because we find in our own humanity, you know, we talked about this um, on Thursday nights with Pastor Gary in, in Romans chapter 7. In our own inability, in our own flesh, in our own humanity, we are always subjective and we always have our own limitations in our walk with God. And we say, God, you know what? I can only do so much. And God says, good, good. But listen to what he says. You know, Peter is grieved in verse 17. He said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then verse 18 is where I want to park here for a minute. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then he spoke signifying of what his death, that he would glorify God. And when he, was done, when he, when he spoke this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. How does this verse connect <laughs> with Psalm 23, being led by the shepherd? You know, very simply, I want to say this, that sometimes the shepherd may bring us into a place where we don't want to go. Now here in, in, in John 21, verse 18, do you think Peter wants to go? I mean, what is, what is Jesus pointing to here in verse 18? Do you guys know? How did Peter die? He died upside down. How was he girded? His hands were tied to the cross. Where was he carried? 
He was carried to a prison cell. He was carried to a cross. Do you think if God was a good shepherd, God would bring him to a place where he would be crucified for the name of Jesus Christ? See, this is so interesting that here is Peter. He is being restored. He is in a place where he is so broken, where he is so insecure in his walk with God, where his humanity is so real, where he himself is grieved with Jesus. And we come to church and we come the same way. We are, we are broken, where our humanity is real, where we have our own limitations and our love for God, where sometimes we come to church and we are grieved with God. <coughs> I mean, I've been grieved with God. What are you doing, God? I, am, I can be grieved with him. We are the same way. And Jesus, instead of saying, well, I'm going to hold your hands and take you along. And I'm going to walk with you, Peter. And together, we're going to build a church. And together, no, right immediately, he gives Peter responsibility. And then he prophesies about his death. That's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy. And you know what? And was Jesus with Peter? Yes, he was. Was he leading him with care? Yes, he was. But wasn't a place where he expected. You know, today, and we see that in verse 18, he said, you know, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. You know, this is so interesting because the Greek, te the Greek text here kind of points to the idea that Peter had this habit of possibly taking his fisherman's coat or his cloak and putting it on and kind of wrapping himself on the beach or on the boat as he's on the ocean. And he is in this constant habit of doing this. You know, and so often in our own Christian walk, aren't we in the habit of leading ourselves? We point to the problem and we say, how is this going to be fixed? Well, it's going to be fixed by me solving the problem. I'm going to gird myself and take care of this problem myself. But Jesus said, when you are old, somebody else is going to gird you. Meaning that you are going to receive the action of somebody else binding you or doing something to you that you would never do to yourself. When you were young, you walked where you would. You know, over and over and over again, we look at these verses and we see, what are we seeing? We're seeing that Peter had the ability in his own free volition to gird and to walk wherever he wanted. But as he grew with God, what did he find? He found himself first not only being led by God instead of his own subjectivity, instead of his own free will, but his own free will being activated by the Spirit of God and going where God told him to go. But then he finds himself dying for the name of God. I mean, my point of saying this is that they are places that we are in right now that we don't want to be in. There is difficulties right now in our life that we don't want to be in. There are questions that we have right now in our life and we don't want to uh, deal with these questions. We don't want to deal with these problems. We don't want to deal with any of these things. But God is saying something here. He is saying that I am the one who is leading you. I am the one who is leading you. Now in Psalm 23, it says what? That he leads me through the valley, right? Like there will be valleys of death in my life. In the presence of what? 
of enemies. So does that mean when I'm being led by God, I, everything in my life is going to be perfect? Does that mean that in my life, that if I'm being led by God, who says that he cares for me in Psalm 23, that he's leading me to a place where I can be refreshed and I can be renewed and I can be relaxed and have my feet up on the lazy boy and just kind of chill. That is God's destination for me. But he's leading me to that place in the midst of a valley, in the midst of my enemies. He's leading me that into a place in the midst of my problems, meaning that in the midst of my problems, God is my provision. God is my shepherd, not myself. And if we continue, I mean, this is what, you know, in John 21, this is what Jesus is saying. If we continue to be our own provision, we're going to continue to be grieved by God. You know, we always talk about us grieving God, right? Like you grieve the Holy Spirit because you're disobeying him. We should obey the Holy Spirit, you know. But listen to this. Like if we continue to live and lead our own life without God leading it, what are we really doing? We are, we are being grieved by God. Like we are the ones that are being grieved. Like God, are you kidding me? I don't want to do that. I mean, how many, of you, how many of you have heard God lead you into forgiving somebody? And did that grieve you? How many of you have been led by God to, you know, go somewhere or, or do something and it grieved you? And you disobeyed God because it grieved you so much? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can all raise our hands. We're talking to the choir here. We're all experiencing this maybe right now. But the point is, is the reason why we are being grieved is because we don't have the proper understanding of who God really is. See, a lot of people look and say, well, what's happening in John 21 is, is Peter is, is really having a problem with his own guilt. Peter knew that he failed Jesus. This is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples. And he still is dealing with it emotionally. He is still fishing. He is still trying to meet his own needs. Isn't that interesting? Peter is still in the flesh, even after meeting Jesus three times. You know what? I mean, just because you're in the presence of God doesn't mean you're going to be healed. So I've heard it said, well, if the presence of God was here, this, these chairs would be filled and, th- and, and then the Holy Spirit would be here and you would hear angels sing and people would be slain in the spirit. I've heard that before. And what is the accusation? The accusation for one is against God because he's not strong enough. And the accusation is against me because I don't have the gift. I don't have the Holy Spirit. But do you know what? Jesus walked on this earth and people still did not believe. Jesus is here with Peter. For a third time. And Peter still wasn't healed. Yeah. And even after he's restored, Peter still has a problem with John and with Jesus. So I don't care what church you're in. I don't care how thick the presence of God is. You have to come to a point. And you could be in a terrible church. And maybe we're that terrible church. I don't know. But you could be in a terrible church. And exercise your will towards the shepherd and allow him to lead you. And do you know what's going to happen? God is going to be your provision. And you are going to be at peace 
in your relationship with God. Not because of the church you're in, not because of anything, not because of the presence of God, but very simply because you said to God, I want you to lead me. And the opposite is true. You can be in a great church. And there are many of them here in Frederick. There are many people that really love God. But do you know what they say to God? I'm your friend. (laughs) That's it. I'll give you my Sunday once a month. I'll give you a Saturday once a year. I'll come on Christmas. I'll come on Easter. There are many people, and I'm not here to question anybody's salvation. I'm not going down that road. But what I am saying is that God wants more of me. God wants more of me. But listen, look what Jesus does. He doesn't condemn. Look look how he's ministering to Peter. He's drawing Peter. That's what the Psalm 23 leads us in paths of righteousness, meaning that he leads us into a place where we can have the right choice that always leads to him. Um, Yeah, I wrote this down. Listen to this. This is another scholar. He says, He conducts me in the straight path that leads to himself. He does not only permit me to wander in ways, he does not permit me to wander in ways that would lead to ruin. God is creating me, creating a path for me that leads not to a destination, but the destination is the presence of God. The destination is himself. You know, and I could be in a church that is so, the presence of God is so thick. And somebody could be led and be at peace with God. And then somebody else in the very same church, hearing the very same message today, could be at war with God. And it's all because they don't allow God to lead them. And again, like we said in John 21, how does Jesus lead Peter into restoration? With care. He doesn't sit there and argue with Peter. Do you love me? 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 You know, he's not like, do you agape? Do you agape? Oh, you don't agape me? Then let me just choose somebody else. Let me get rid of you, Peter. Every one of you are a child of God. And there is a plan for God in your life. And you want, and I'm going to go as far as saying there is a plan for you in this church. Yeah. And I, you know, I love you. (laughs) No, I mean, right? I mean, there is a plan for you in the kingdom of God, in God's personal life, in your personal life, but also in this church, there is a plan for God for you. And you know what? We're not saying, do you agape me? Do you agape? Do you agape? Do you agape? Is it this high and holy love? Maybe that is not my capacity. But where does Peter, where is Peter carried? Peter is carried later on in life, when he is older, to a place where that is his capacity. And he dies on the cross. For God. I mean, I don't know if I could do that. You know, I work, man. I mean, it's those of you that work, you know, you guys hear some filthy conversations, right? I mean, this past week, you know, I work. I mean, I've been working for myself for two weeks. 
And I've loved it. You know, just turn on some Christian music and get to work. In the past two days, I was with some coworkers, and everything became a perverted joke. I couldn't say a single thing without it becoming a gross joke. And I just had to not talk the whole entire day. You know, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And, but you know, it comes to a point where I could say to God, like I, maybe I could grow in my life with God in such a way where I could stand up for God. You know, and I'm not saying like you're going to be crucified or you're going to be martyred or anything like that, but I am saying this, that God does have a destination for you. I'm not talking about heaven or hell. I mean, you're going to heaven, all right? If you're a believer, you're a child of God, you're going to heaven. But God does have a call in your life. God does have a purpose for you. Don't be hijacked by the devil. Don't allow him to take you by all these philosophies that are out there, all these weird ways of thinking. Don't let emotionalism come in and take you out of the church because, you know, you're offended by something that I say. Don't allow distance. I mean, you know, I drew a blank. Sorry, Vaughn. Vaughn drives, what, about an hour, hour and 20 minutes? Not to puff him up to come here to church. Yeah, amazing, huh? Mount Airy, people coming, new markets, um, Tawny Town, 40 minutes, right? That 40? I mean, Hagerstown now, we got Hagerstown, 30 minutes. I mean, people are coming. You know what? I am not allowing anything to come between me and what God has to share with me. And I'm not saying like, you, you know, trying to get numbers in here or anything. It's nothing like that. But if, you know what? If God is being preached and you are enjoying and you're being edified by the word of God, why would you allow something to steal that from you? Why would you allow a 20 minute drive? Why would you allow a 15 minute drive? I've heard people say, well, that's too far. You're 20 minutes away. Oh, you're dirty. Who cares? I'm dirty. You know, you smell funny. I smell funny. You know, it's hot in here. I smell funny. You know, I mean, whatever the excuses are that are hindering, you know, Peter's saying, you know, there is something that is hindering you, Peter, from allowing you to have God love you and for you to love him. But you know what? Through the process of time, by you following me, that's what it says right there in verse 19. You phileo me? Well, that's good enough for me, Peter. Now follow me. You, know, you don't have to come to this church with all your ducks in a row. You don't have to come here with everything perfect. You don't have to come here with all the questions answered. You come here any way that you are because very simply says, God says, if you can be a friend of me, follow me. And we say the same thing in this church. If you could say, God, I'm interested in you, then come to church. Be a follower of God and see what God is going to do in your life because God might bring you to a place where you're like, you know, Ryan and Stephen in Finland, on, on their way to Finland. Where you're like preaching the gospel on a Saturday on the streets. You know, where you're, you know, ministering to people. While you're helping the homeless. While you're helping somebody who's sick and can't help themselves. I mean, that's where God can bring us if we allow God to lead us. If we could say very simply, as Peter said, I will follow you. And look at that. I mean, you continue to read that story in John 21 when you go home. Peter didn't follow Christ perfectly. He's not looking for perfection in our life. Because we don't have it. But he's looking for willingness. And that's what it means to allow God to lead us is that there is a willingness. That is the only thing that God is asking. So today... Allow God to lead you.
and how that is, God will show you. <laughs> I don't have an answer. But God, I know, I, I know God is saying something to you today. I know he's saying something. And you know what? You know, today's message is just echoing something that God's already doing in your heart. Amen. You know, I'm not, so I'm not like, it's not like I have the answer and I'm pointing my finger at anybody and I'm going to answer your question after service. I am saying something that I think God is already saying in your heart. And today's message, I hope, is just confirming what God is saying already. You know, I don't want you guys to be ripped out of this church. If you leave this church, fine. But go to another church (laughs) and be active and go often. Because your walk with God is the most important thing. The fact that you allow him to lead you and you say to him, God, I want to follow you. I want to step outside my box and follow you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this service. And we just pray against all the problems in our life. And Lord, I'm not asking that you, that you solve all of our problems and, and you wipe that away. I am praying that you become our provision, that we could begin to have an objective definition of who you are and we could have a personal experience of that objective definition. Lord, the Bible, very simply, the Bible says that you are a shepherd and I want to see in our lives that you are a shepherd and you are leading us to a place of rest. In John chapter 20, you are leading us to a place where we are loved. Lord, I want to see that. It says that you are a father in the Bible. I want to see that fatherhood. It says that if we knock, that you will answer. It says if we pray, you will give. If you ask, we will give. If we ask, you will give. Lord, the Bible has so many promises. And these are the things that we cling to. We don't cling to our experience and our, and our subjective feelings. We take our feelings and it says that we cast down every thought that exalts itself against the throne of God. Hallelujah. And whatever thought that is today in our life, we want to cast it. Lord, and maybe the answer doesn't come, but we just pray that you'll help us to deal with it. So we just thank you for this today. Bless us today in our fellowship. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.